Hello and welcome to my podcast. So far you've had to put up with just plain old talks and now we can bring you the beauty of lots of squelchy noises, uh, some strange kinds of sounds and some background music as well just to enable you to relax before you hear a talk. Anyway, um, I hope you enjoy the talk. This one is The Light of the World and uh, obviously it's focusing on Jesus being the light of the world and if you have any comments or questions or anything feel free to get in touch but otherwise I hope you enjoy this uh, podcast the reworked version of Light of the World Thinking today about uh, the light of the world, what does the light of the world mean? And what I want us to do is to help us to think through this before we turn to the passage, is to think through what we, or what God wants us to hear this morning as we come uh, to church. Because I think it's very easy to come to church and to respond in different ways, and to sometimes wonder whether, well, can God actually speak to me, um, or do I actually want God to speak to me? So I'm just going to um, illustrate that a bit by just telling a little story about my girl Katie. I've got three children, but Katie is seven years old, and Katie is at a stage in, his li- in her life where she starts to realise um, the great... Um, Epistological, epist- yes, that's right, isn't it? Epistological questions, the knowing questions. Okay, so the cognitive process of, of learning and growing. So beyond herself, there is um, more to life than just her and her sweets. But actually, how do things work, and what is there beyond me? So this morning, uh, she said to me, as we were just sitting there, um, "Why do we have eyebrows?" That's a good question, isn't it? Why do we have eyebrows? And I was thinking about that for a moment, and I thought, well, I could answer this question off the top of my head. And, and or actually, let me think about this. Why do we have eyebrows? And I thought, well, let's try and think this through logically. I'm not a scientist. Um, I think it's probably because you can tell what somebody's thinking. Okay, so in other words, if somebody's kind of scared, they're like, ah! Like this, and they kind of raise their eyebrows, or if they're kind of cross, they're like, you know, kind of frowning with their eyebrows. Or it could be that when you sweat, that the sweat doesn't go into your eyes. Anyway, by the wonder of Google, I searched up Google and found out that actually the reason we have eyebrows is because uh, if it rains or there's sweat, it will go straight into your eyes, and so it kind of channels it around your eyes and goes down your cheeks. So there we are. Okay, so I wasn't going to leave that question hanging this morning, but because you'd have been trying to work that one out yourself if you didn't already know. But so, in terms of Katie's questioning, she's come to this point where she said, "Well, why do we have eyebrows?" Now, in in her questioning, in my answering of that question, I could just assume that she knows, therefore I don't bother telling her, or I could just assume that I know, and therefore I don't bother looking it up on Google. Or we could come to this position where we might think, well, why bother asking? We have eyebrows, so therefore why bother asking why we have eyebrows? Just get on. 
Get on with your life. You've got eyebrows. You're going to have eyebrows. Get on with it. So, therefore, there's this kind of situation where we work through a process of understanding why we're here, what we're about, and who God is. And so when we come to church, and when we listen to Scripture, and when we enter into a situation of what God is saying to us, we might say to ourselves, well, actually, I I assume there, there isn't a God, therefore, I won't bother asking the question of, is God real and can he speak to me? Or we might be here and say, well, actually, I just kind of know some things about God, but I'm not really that bothered about asking questions. Or we might be here this morning and we say, well, we do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We do know God. And, well, we kind of know stuff. And to be honest, it's a Sunday morning and I'm feeling a bit weird because the clocks have changed. And do I really kind of want to engage with what God has to say to me this morning? And if we're honest, maybe some of us feel like that this morning. I know sometimes I go to church and it's just an easy thing to kind of go through and cruise through and we're doing church and we we do church and then we we go home and that's it. But I wanted to say that to us because I think as we turn to this passage, it's important to have that kind of thinking in place. And the reason it is, is because it's a very familiar passage. And so the natural reaction could be, okay, light of the world, yeah, heard that before, got the t-shirt, tick the box, done it. Or it could be, well, I'm not sure if there's a God. Why should I bother asking? Okay, so let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're just going to read two verses. This is the subject that you've given me this morning, uh, Light of the World. And we're just looking at two verses in that section. Okay, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Okay, so what I want to ask first of all this morning, and I guess this is a fundamental question, is in many ways, where are you walking? With regards to who God is and what light is, Are you walking in the dark, or are you walking in the light? Two really simple questions, just really black and white in many ways. Are you walking in the dark, or are you walking in the light? But in many ways, a very uncomfortable question if this morning we've come here and we know in the heart of hearts that we're not a Christian. Because we may have heard about who God is, we may have heard about who Jesus is, we might need to recognize in our life that we need to walk and follow Jesus, but actually recognizing and admitting that we're walking in darkness this morning is a very hard thing because humanly we're proud. Acknowledging that we are walking in the light reminds us that actually we are not all it's meant to be in life, but there is a God beyond us, a God who is there, a God who exists, and a God who wants to know us through the person of Jesus Christ, and that keeps us in check and makes us alive and alert to the fact that there's more than just a Sunday here in Edinburgh where we go home and we have our lunch, but actually that God is so big and massive and awesome that we need to walk in his light and continue to walk in his light. But I guess only you can answer that question this morning. Are you walking in the dark or are you walking in the light. And we're going to explore a bit of what that means before we go um, directly into the application of, of the passage. Okay, September the 11th. It's something which, a date 
which when we say September the 11th, we associate, don't we, with the Twin Towers being uh, blown up there through planes hitting them. And we can look at things like the Twin Towers like that and we can say to ourselves, well, terrorism, that is terrible. And evil things happen in our world. So we have ourselves here and we isolate these things from ourselves and we say that these people over here are terrible because they get into planes and they they crash into buildings and they're evil and I would never do a thing like that. Therefore, I'm okay and they're bad. They're evil. So terrorists and thieves and murderers, we need to recognise, are not the only people that are sinning. What the Bible calls rebelling towards God, doing our own thing, thinking that in many ways we can be God, that we don't need God. That terrorists and thieves and murderers, these kind of obvious acts of evil and crime, are not the only people who are doing things that are wrong in life, that are doing things that God would view as being sin. But Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says that for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. That is to say that no matter who we are, that we come here this morning recognising that we cannot enter into the presence of God ourselves because God is a holy God. And therefore, if we as people that have failed him and that we have rebelled against him, as all of us have, then we cannot enter into that relationship with God in our own strength because all of us have sinned and fallen short of that glory of God, that we will not make that mark in our own strength, that none of us will reach that mark or, if you like, be accepted by God just as we are. There needs to be a transformation. So whether we are a terrorist, a murderer, whether we are somebody who has thought a bad thought, who has been jealous, who has been envious who has maybe coveted what other people have, maybe got angry, maybe lied, cheated, gossiped. No matter what it is, it's all in God's sight, rebellion. And a holy God cannot accept us living in that kind of way. And so therefore, a holy God demands a sacrifice. And so that's why Jesus came and paid that price, that God's wrath, that his anger might be appeased. And so Jesus coming took that wrath, that anger upon himself. He didn't just die on a cross and say, well, this is a good thing that I'm doing for you. I'm a martyr laying down my life and people will say, good man. But he took our sin upon himself, the punishment on the cross, that we might enter into a relationship with him. No matter who we are, a terrorist or a gossiper. So light, God is different, God is light. And because he's a holy God, in him there's no darkness at all. How can a God that is holy, that is light, have evil or sin in him? There is no hate, there is no greed, no bitterness or envy or lust in God because he's holy. He's a righteous God, he's somebody to whom we could never be like in just our own strength. But he enables us to live in the light with him. So that's the incredible thing, that we've messed up, that we do wrong, that in many ways our lives are messy and ugly. Yet a holy God 
is willing to allow us to live in the light with him. So we don't have to remain in the darkness, but we can live in the light with him. No longer stumbling around, but living in the light of who he is. So then we might say, okay, well, how do we live in the light with him? If he's a holy God who demands um, holiness and we can't pay that price ourselves and Jesus has paid that price, how then can we live in the light? How can we be people that are living in the light? Well, elsewhere in the Bible, in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. It's, an, it's another issue of pride, isn't it? Because in order to walk in the light, we need to recognize that not only has Jesus come to this earth, lived amongst us, healed people, cared for people, loved people, parted with people, discussed with people, debated with people, but he's laid down his life on the cross. And he's laid down his life on the cross, and we might recognize that, but how do we move from the point of recognizing that, okay, this is what Jesus has done, but actually, how do I enter that, enter that relationship with him? Because it's one thing, isn't it, to say, why do we have eyebrows? And it's another thing to say, well, why did Jesus die on the cross? And when we have the answer to why do we have eyebrows, and when we have the answer to why did Jesus die on the cross, we need to respond to that in some kind of way. Because we could say, oh, why do we have eyebrows? Okay, well, blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's interesting. It's not really a life-changing thing. But why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, he came, as I've just been explaining, to die for us that we might be in that right relationship with God. And we can just say, okay, well, fine, fair enough. That's interesting. But actually, in order to enter into that relationship with Christ, in order to enter into that relationship with God, we need to do something which requires us recognizing that we're proud. And so in 1 John it tells us, if we confess our sins, recognizing, admitting that we're a sinner, admitting that we've done wrong, admitting that we have messed up and failed God and failed others, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's not as if we take that step towards God and then he says, Give me a couple of days to think about it, because I know your heart. I know exactly what you're like, and I'm not too sure about you. You're a bit of a tricky one. But he said he's faithful and he's just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so we walk in the light, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done and enabled us to enter into that relationship. But we need to respond and we need to recognize that there's a process there where we respond and we accept Christ as our Savior as he speaks to us. And maybe it even is this morning, as we've been talking about this, that you know in your heart of hearts that you're not a Christian this morning. You know that you don't have that relationship with God. And therefore, the step for you to take is to confess your sins and ask God to forgive you. And he will forgive you and you can enter into that relationship and walk in the light. So when we refer to this passage, it says light shines out like a city on a hill. Well, obviously, we live in Edinburgh, and it's pretty hard to miss 
uh, the castle, isn't it, as you walk down Princess Street on an evening. But I guess you could miss the castle if you walked down and it wasn't lit up. If it was a very dark, foggy, dense night, you could potentially miss it. But the fact that it's lit up, a city on a hill, is incredibly obvious. And so maybe that's a useful picture for us to have in terms of what we're going to think about next. Because living in the, night, in the light is walking in the light. We, we see changes our lives. So somebody becoming a Christian confesses their sins, asks God to forgive them. They're transformed and they become a new person. God no longer sees them as a, as a sinner. He says that you're dead to sin and you're alive in Christ. And that's an important thing for Christians to remember again, isn't it? That not that we're perfect, but that God doesn't look at us as a sinner. And maybe that's a radical thing for you to hear. I've said that here before when I've spoken about grace. That in Romans 6, he says that you're dead to sin and alive to Christ. You can't be both dead and alive. You're dead to sin and then alive to Christ. And so he looks at the person who has, has made this transformation has taken place in their life. And the light, as the Holy Spirit comes into somebody's life, shapes and transforms them. And the light changes their lives and makes them become more like Jesus. And so light changes things. And we see things as God sees things. So when a person becomes a Christian, they no longer go around sort of viewing things themselves as just themselves. But the Holy Spirit is indwelling in the Christian and enables them to understand scripture, enables them to understand what God's plan is for their lives, enables them to know the power of God in dwelling in them, to do things that they wouldn't normally be able to do themselves at times. And so I remember before I was a Christian reading the Bible and thinking, what's this, what is the Bible all about? I can't understand the Bible, I look at these things and I understand part of it. But in becoming a Christian, as the Holy Spirit um, is indwelling in my life, the Holy Spirit illuminates the Bible. And so you look at the Bible and you understand it because it's God's revelation. And God has revealed himself in creation and through Jesus and through the Bible. And so therefore, when you understand who God is, you have that relationship with him. The Holy Spirit opens up the Bible to you and you understand the things of God. You understand who God is. And so that light coming in our life changes us and it helps us see things as God sees things. And we then shine that light to others. So the Christian doesn't only have this transformation in their life, but the Christian then has this light in them which they shine out. Because God is indwelling in the Christian and therefore they shine that out to people. That It's an attractive thing towards other people. So in verses 14 and 15 of the passage, you are the light of the world. Verse 14, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Well, we know that on Prince's Street with a castle, don't we? Verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it, that in terms of having a light and putting it under a bowl, the whole reason that this is there is it's, it's kind of comical, and it's, but it's incredibly obvious that you wouldn't light a light and put it under a bowl. You wouldn't have a candle and put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on a stand so that other people can see that and enjoy the light and experience the light. And it serves a purpose. Light serves a purpose. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a power cut. It's something that kind of happens less and less these days, isn't it? It kind of slightly makes me feel a bit older. Sort of talk to students about power cuts, and they're like, power cut, what's that? Um, but going to um, Northern Ireland a few years ago, where my uh, wife is from, uh, we went over for a Christmas, and uh, it was just coming up to Christmas Day, and we, we were watching some, I don't know, trivial thing on the TV that you watch at Christmas, some sort of James Bond movie or... Um, it was some, some kind of Christmasy thing. I can't remember. But anyway, we were watching this thing on TV and suddenly the light on the TV went off and then you just kind of see this light disappearing on the TV. All the lights went off. It was completely dark, pitch black. And so we had a choice at that moment. Well, what do we do? Do we get the candles? Do we get the lamps? Do we um, go off and uh, get a generator from somewhere if we're feeling really adventurous? I'm sure that's the sort of thing Fraser would do. Um, but we decided, okay, well, we'll get, we'll get some torches somewhere. So, of course, you go off and you look for torches and then you wonder, has it got a battery? And this one isn't quite lit up properly because it doesn't have a battery in it. And then you're trying to find the batteries in the dark and you're trying to do that and you're stumbling over somebody's slippers. And then you're sort of trying to find all the things that you need to get in order to light the house up. Eventually, you've got some sort of light going and it feels okay. And it almost feels a bit of an adventure. You know, it's a bit like, oh, this is quite nice, you know quite cosy, like being in a caravan or something. Sort of light everything up and you're, you're there and you're inside and you've got little torches going and a few candles in the room. And it's quite exciting for about an hour. And then after a, a few hours, you start to get a bit irritated because there was a program that, I don't know, maybe Match of the Day is on and you want to watch that and you're going to miss that. And then you go beyond that and you start to think, well, I'm going to miss that film. Or Then you start to get a bit more practical when a day went by which is what happened in this situation and you realise that you don't have anything to cook on because the cooker's electric and then you go beyond that and you realise well actually not only that but there's food in the freezer and that's starting to defrost as well and then two days later you're starting to get a little bit touchy with each other in the evening because you realise that not only have you not eaten much you've gone through all the Pringles and the nuts but you don't actually have any substantial food to eat there's nothing to watch on TV. You can't even put on a kind of stereo or something to listen to some music. And it's still getting a bit frustrating. And three days later, as this happened, eventually the power goes back on. Now, logically, you would not want to have a power cut around Christmas for three days. Why would you want to have that kind of experience when the whole family is together? It wouldn't make sense. And also, logically, then, why would it make sense to walk in the darkness and remain in the darkness and prefer the darkness to preferring the light? Why would you just want to sit still and do nothing and say, oh, well, the light's gone out, I'm just going to do nothing? And as you get up, every time you stumble over things, you have nothing to cook, nothing to eat, you can't experience the fullness that light brings. Why would you want to not live in the light? And also, if you found out that electricity existed and you could find power that would generate electricity in your house, you'd want to share that. You wouldn't say, oh, that's great, I've just found some light, I'm just going to sneak off to my bedroom and I'll have electricity in my room, but I'm not going to share it with anybody else. I'm going to have my TV in my room and I'm not going to tell anybody else that I found this light, that I found this power. And so therefore, that when Christ came into the world as light and has, as he indwells in the Christian as light, that Christians should want to stand up and share this light and say, this is good news. This 
is life-giving. It will enable you to see the fullness of who you are and what the world is about and what eternal life is about. So in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So we need to shine and not hide the light. And we need to share the gospel. For those of you this morning that are Christians, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, sharing this light, is not an added extra. It's not an optional in-out. Well, you know, you can either do it if you feel like it or not. But sharing the gospel means that in our homes, we shine the light of who Christ is in our relationships with people we share a flat with. In our neighbourhood, our neighbours, we share the light of Christ with our neighbours. Now, I know that's sometimes a hard thing in a very individualistic society. If you're living in a, a tenement flat, probably the chances are that you've probably hardly spoken to anybody on your stairwell. If you're living in a house, you probably rarely speak to your neighbours. I mean, we rarely speak to ours, but... God wants us to shine the light of who he is in our homes, to our neighbourhood, in the workplace. People sometimes think, well, here is work, here is church, here's my secular life, here's my Christian life. But God has placed you in your workplace for a reason, because there are people there who are lost and who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, not just to see it. It's not a case of, well, if you do well, work hard. If you put a smile on your face now and again, people will say, there's something different about that person. Oh, you're a Christian. Fantastic. That's what it is. Okay, I'll just tick that off. It's not a case of that. It's a case of us having to proclaim who Christ is as well as living that out. And that means in the workplace. That means in the home. That means in the neighborhood. And it means to the ends of the earth. So if God calls you to be working in standard life, or in a bank, or working as a doctor, or as a dentist, or as a road sweeper, or God calls you to go to Russia, or to Pakistan, or India, or wherever. We go in obedience, and we share that light, because this light is in us, indwelling through the Holy Spirit. And we show love, and we show compassion, and we show good deeds. In verse 16, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. That's an interesting uh, passage there, isn't it? Let your good deeds uh, be shown before people. Your good deeds, and pray, so that they may praise your Father in heaven. Now, I think this is a really interesting point as we move to a close here, because why should we tell other people about Jesus? Why should we be people who show compassion and do good deeds? So that other people will say, oh, it's a really nice, really nice lady, that lady, isn't she? Just very, very caring. She's very compassionate. She's very, just, just a nice way about her. She's just, she's just nice. She's just really nice. Or he's a, he's a really good guy, isn't he? He's, really, he's always there to help out. Fantastic guy. And when people say that about you, you think, oh, yeah, that's quite nice. I quite like the fact that. People in my workplace recognize I'm a kind of nice person. Or that people think I'm quite caring or compassionate. But we don't do good deeds. Or we don't share the light of Christ 
just so that other people say, you're a good person, or isn't it nice that you're a Christian? But that we do this in order that our Father in heaven will be praised. That this is ultimately about God's glory. And so therefore, our whole lives should be about God's glory. And so as the person who is a Christian has had this transformation and the Holy Spirit is indwelling, doing this work, the output of that is that they shine God's light, God's glory, and people see God's glory and are attracted to God's glory, not just me. And why we do what we do is for God's glory. It's not about my fame. It's not about Clive Parnell being famous and people saying, oh, isn't that good and isn't that good? It's about God being famous, about God being known and seen as being glorious. And about him and his presence being sensed and known by people wherever they are. And the only way that that will ever, ever happen in my life is if it's the work of the Holy Spirit. If it's the work of God. If for some reason I thought that I could be a better Christian and show people what it is to represent Christ in my own strength, forget it. But being seen as a child of God, being cherished by God, God delighting in me means that actually it's nothing to do with me, but it's about the Holy Spirit showing people truly who God is. And if we struggle sometimes to share the gospel, if we struggle sometimes to think, am I a good enough Christian? Will people really understand who I am? Then we need to say, it's not about me, but it's actually about God doing a work in me and through me. And ultimately, what we want people to see is Christ and the glory of God, that they might praise our Father in heaven. And in order to truly praise our Father in heaven, people need to have that transformation in their lives. So therefore, as uh, John Piper talks about in one of his books, let worship be the fuel for missions flame. And that is a really interesting phrase because what, what this is saying here is this, is that if we are people who are worshipping who have a passion for God, who want to see God's glory known, who want to see that glory known wherever we are, that will be the fuel for Mission's Flame. So I don't know a lot about your church, but if, if I was to say to you, okay, everybody here that's a Christian, everyone's got to be involved in evangelism, and you need to do five things starting this week, you might be like, that's heavy duty, that's like a work. I, I, I don't know, that sounds like a lot of hard work. But if our focus or your focus as a church here at Brunsfield is on the glory of God, on his passion, on worship, on focusing on him and having a desire to worship him with your whole being, as that worship and passion and glory rises and rises and is infused in your life and it's just a daily thing, you will naturally go to the workplace, to the home, to the neighborhood, to this community and want to share Christ. Because it is an overflow of God's grace and his glory and his love and his compassion as he works in our lives. So where are you walking? Are you walking in the dark? I hope this morning that you're not. But there is a chance, of course, that you could be. 
I was once walking in the dark. But thankfully came to a point in my life where I recognized that I needed to ask for forgiveness and come to know the living Savior. And he forgave me and is now indwelling in me through the Holy Spirit. And this morning you have an opportunity to respond. You can be living in the light. You don't have to be walking in the dark. Or are you walking in the light? And if we're walking in the light, are we willing to share the light of who Christ is here in Brunsfield, in Edinburgh, in Scotland, in the UK, to the ends of the earth? Are we willing to go and to not hide this light, but to share this light? Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we are in your presence, that you are here amongst us, that you know each and every one of us, you know our hearts, you know what we're thinking before we've even said it. And this morning you know in our hearts whether we have a relationship with you or not, and you desire to save us, you desire to be in this relationship with us. And so I pray this morning that anybody here who's not a Christian will be willing to respond. As God has been speaking to you, maybe it's as if it feels like you're the only person in this room. And that's often the way the Holy Spirit works. And so I pray that you would continue to do that work and that anybody here this morning would respond, Lord, not for the fame of Brunsfield or for me, but for the fame of yourself and for your glory. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers that you would enable us to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to live out what you've called us to live out and to shine the light out as far as we can go, whatever you've called us to do, wherever you've called us to be. May it be for your glory and your glory alone, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks very much for listening to this podcast. And uh, if you've been spoken to in any way, or you simply just want to get in touch, then uh, you can do so by uh, contacting me at www.myspace.com forward slash Clive Parnell Music. And when you're there, you can also check out some of the music that I have on there, which are recent demos as well. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and speak to you soon. With a